church that you need to be aware of. Saturday is the Bethmore simulcast. We've been talking about that for a couple months now. The day is finally here. That's a free event. It's the best deal going. Ladies, you will absolutely be blessed on Saturday. Starts at 8.30, ends around 3.30. Absolutely free. Bring a friend. If you have someone in your life that maybe isn't into church, maybe they're not a Christ follower, they're not sure what faith is all about, this will be a great day to invite them to come and join you, even if just for part of the day. That's this Saturday. Then two weeks from this coming Wednesday, Families at First Returns, we're launching once again with FCC's Got Talent. And we're still in the process of inviting and securing people that are going to be a part of that night. It's going to be a blessing. Meal at 5.30. And that night, we're going to be in here, 6.30, for FCC's Got Talent. Three weeks from today, September 30, is going to be one of the three times each year that we have a one-service Sunday. And here's what this means. I know some of you are new around here. You really need to listen up. On September 30, we will have no programming at 8.15. We will have no programming at 11 o'clock. We'll have a single service at 9.30 in the morning. That day is going to be especially awesome because our own Carson Cheatham, Timothy of this church, is being ordained into Christian ministry. He's going to lead worship that morning. It's going to be a really special day. You will not want to miss it. I know some of you are fired up because that's apple and pork weekend. And you're thinking, i got to get some apple and i got to get some pork. It's going to be there, okay? So come to church at 9.30 and then go do your apple and pork stuff. Last thing I need to tell you, grab this little purple sheet of paper. I'm not going to read all of this for you, but I do need to make you aware. This is kind of maybe a little family talk time. This year, due to uh, circumstances beyond our control, we were forced to change insurance companies. And we are now being insured as a church by Brotherhood Mutual. One of the things that they have done is that they have strongly suggested and even required that we make some changes. And one of the changes that we are making within the next couple of weeks is our church is being entirely rekeyed. Now, I know there's all kinds of keys floating around and all kinds of people are saying, what am I going to do if the key to the church doesn't work? I want you to read this. I want you to spend a a lot of time looking at this and understand the church buildings open almost every day from 830 in the morning to 8 o'clock at night. If there is a reason that you have a need beyond that, you can contact Karen Rice or Leslie Gavush in our office, and they'll try to work with you along those lines. But um, this really isn't optional. This really isn't something we're going to take to the congregation in the way of a vote. This is something that we're being required to do. I will let you know that within the last month, we've had a theft at our church. Computer was stolen. Within the last month, we've had vandalism in our church. Two of our storage areas, the purity ball area and the ladies' night out area, was trashed. Somebody came in and just wrecked havoc in there. So um, you just need to be aware. Unfortunately, that's life in America 2012. And I would throw this caveat in there. There's probably going to be additional changes that are coming. So if that's a real issue and you have a problem with that, I invite you to see Dana Cornerman, chairman of our building and grounds, or Mark Witzke, chairman of our elders, or myself. We'd be glad to talk with you personally along those lines, but that is what is happening. Grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a pew Bible. It's there for you. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, you can take a pew Bible with you. I would love to buy more pew Bibles. If you're using a pew Bible, turn to page 1156. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of Ephesians this morning as we consider this concept of the grace of God. About half the people that go to FCC uh, on a somewhat regular basis did not grow up in our church and did not grow up in an independent Christian church. 
And so I have a lot of conversations with people, and many of you have conversations, where people say, what makes FCC different from the Methodist Church, or the Assembly of God, or the Catholics, or the Baptists, or the Lutheran? And that's a great question. And I need to confess to you, I've not done a good job as preacher, and many of us have, as leaders have not done a good job really communicating what are the staples of First Christian Church. So this month, September of 2012, like we did in September of 2008, and like we did in September of 2010, we're going to take the month on Sunday mornings, and we're going to look at some of the staples of First Christian Church. Now, these aren't the only six things that we believe in. These aren't even necessarily the most important six things. But if I were try to de- try to describe to you what is FCC about that might be different from other churches, these are some of the things that might come to mind. Number one, we believe that God's Word is our only authority, and next week we're going to look at that. We believe you're saved only by the grace of God. You can't earn your salvation. You can't work your way to heaven. We believe that baptism by immersion is part of the salvation process. We practice weekly observation of the Lord's Supper. You'll never come to church here on Sunday morning where the elements are not passed and you're not invited to remember Christ through the bread and through the juice. That'll never happen on a Sunday morning at FCC. We believe in every member ministry. The Bible calls it the priesthood of all believers. That's a very fancy way of saying if you're a Christian, you need to be serving. If you're a Christian, you need a ministry. And then finally, we practice independence of the local congregation. There's no denominational oversight. We're an independent Christian church. This month, we're going to tackle three of these on Sunday morning. Today, we're looking at number two, saved by the grace of God. Next week, we're tackling God's word as our only authority. And on September 30, excuse me, September 23, we're going to look at why we want to remember Christ each week through the Lord's Supper. So with that, let's dive in. Staple number two, saved only by the grace of God. And what I want to do today is I want you to imagine that I've got a ladder here. I want you to imagine a ladder with several rungs. And what I want to do is hopefully articulate for you God's stair-step plan to hope in and through Jesus Christ. And what's really cool about the Apostle Paul when he wrote the book of Ephesians and Ephesians chapter 2, that's really what he's doing with these first 10 verses in chapter 2. It's kind of a stair-step approach to illuminating the hope that Jesus Christ brings. And I want to just acknowledge some of you, you've been in the church literally all of your life. You've probably heard a hundred sermons on the grace of God. And that's okay. You're going to get 101 today. Some of you, I realize, this may be brand new. You're not really maybe used to going to church. This is all new. And that's okay as well. I want you to know that what you're going to look at today is a real staple. Not just a first Christian church, but most Christian churches. This idea, this concept that we are saved only by God's grace. Hope is found only in and through Jesus Christ. So with that, let's dive in. Stair number one, rung number one, starts kind of depressing. It's this, sin has created a great disconnect between humanity 
and the Lord. And it really started not in the New Testament. you got to go all the way back to the third chapter in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, God had created the heavens and the earth, and he created Adam, and Adam needed a helper, so he formed Eve, and everything was great. They had this awesome garden. They could eat anything in the garden that they wanted. And my guess is there was all kinds of just delectable items there. But God said, stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat anything else you want to. Don't eat fruit from that tree. Well, many of you know the story. Guess what they did? They just had to have the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's when sin started. And you've kind of had a downward spiral effect ever since. I can't overstate how awful sin is. I can't overstate how devastating sin is in your individual life. And I need to share with you this morning that what I just shared is not very politically correct. I've met people in this town that are incredulous at the idea that they could somehow be a sinner, that they could somehow have done something wrong. They say things like, Greg, but I'm a good person. Greg, I do good things. And my answer to them would be my answer to you if you came and shared that with me, how good you are, the good things that you do. It doesn't matter. Sin created a crisis for you and for me. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Here's how Paul puts it, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Look at the, the word that I have, the words I have underlined there. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. I just have to let you know, sin's a big deal. Sin is a huge deal. You read through the 39 books of the Old Testament, and sin was a big deal. Priests had to gather together innocent animals and shed their blood. PETA would not be happy today. I mean, there's blood going all over the place. Blood had to be shed to cover the sins. And that's still the case, my friends. See, sin, by definition, if I were to give you a definition, sin is missing the mark. And as sinners, we miss the mark. My daughter's a volleyball player, and man, my Saturday, wasn't a beautiful day yesterday. I got to be inside a gymnasium all day long. It was just awesome. And watch junior high volleyball. Man, that's just, that's living right. And one of the things that if you watch a sport, volleyball, basketball, football, whatever it may be, usually it's pretty black and white the rules, and the way it unfolds. Like in volleyball, for instance, if you're able to spike the ball down on the other team's side in bounds, you get a point. And if you don't, you don't get a point. And if you touch the net, the other team gets a point. It's pretty cut and dried. It's pretty black and white. And the same thing plays out for sin. God created Adam perfect. When Adam and Eve ate the apple, everything changed. And you and I, we can try to live perfect lives and get to heaven in perfection, but none of us are going to make it. 
We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of God's glory. Paul says in Romans, there's no one that's righteous, not even one. So sin is missing the mark. Secondly, sin creates a separation from the Lord. We've spent this year at First Christian Church looking at some of the great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. And we've looked at guys like Moses, and we looked at Joshua, and we looked at David. You remember David's story? David was about as good as it gets. If there was anybody that was really going to be the man for the Lord, it was David. David had really a cool nickname. How would you like to have the nickname, a man after God's own heart? That's pretty awesome. And the man after God's own heart became an adulterer and a deceiver and a murderer. And he tasted consequences he never dreamed possible. Because sin creates separation. From the Lord. And it was true in David's time, 1000 BC. And friends, it's true today. It's true for you. Sin creates a separation between you and the Lord if it's not accounted for, if it's not dealt with. Ultimately, sin will lead to death. Sin will lead to death. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, this doesn't sound like a really happy message, this doesn't sound like good news. This doesn't sound like something to rejoice in. Stick with me. It gets much better. Uh, Rung number one, sin's created a huge crisis for all of us. But rung number two is this. God's character has provided us some hope. We've got just a glimmer of hope, but God's character provides hope. Paul writes on in Ephesians 2. Let's pick it up with verse 4. Here's what he says. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. He's saying even though we were dead in transgressions, God's character came to the table. It rose to the occasion. And because God has great love, because God is rich in mercy, Christ has made us alive. And when we look at God's character, there's three aspects of God's character I want you to see this morning. Aspect number one is God has an incredible, great love for you. Personalize it. Wherever you're at right now on your faith walk, if you're like Marvin Hubble and you remember when John Wesley was preaching, or or if you're brand new to the faith, that's a joke. He's been dead for 200 years. That's a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. It's okay. Let's wake up a little bit. Or if you're brand new, and you haven't spent time in the Word. You haven't spent time studying what, what we believe is God's inspired Word. Understand, God loves you. And He loves you passionately. And He loves you unconditionally. The greatest Bible verse in the Bible. It's known by more people than any other. You go to a football game. You watch a football game today. Some guy's going to be holding up a John 3.16 sign. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 said, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't miss God's great love for you, whoever you are. God is also very, very rich in mercy. Very, very rich in mercy. When I think of mercy, I think of the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And If you don't know this, Jews hated Samaritans and Samaritans hated Jews. So Jesus told a story an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the deal was this Jew was on a trip and he just got the snot kicked out of him. I mean, he just got beat up and left for dead. And here came one of his preachers and the preacher just kept on walking. 
And here came another religious leader of the faith, and he just kept on walking. And here came a hated Samaritan, his enemy, his racial enemy. And his racial enemy loved him and helped him and, and took him to an inn and bandaged him up and, you know, got, got him all kinds of, uh, of medicines and paid the bill and went on his way. And he didn't do it because they had a connection by blood, because they were mortal enemies racially. And I'm pretty sure he didn't do it because he had a really cool shirt on or because they cheered for the same sport team. It's because he showed mercy on him. And that's a parable for all of us. God has showed incredible mercy to you. When I think of mercy, I think of the word forgiveness. I think of the word compassion. God is rich in mercy. The third attribute of his character that we see here in the early part of Ephesians chapter 2 is that God makes us alive in Christ. He makes us alive in Christ. Last night, Ernie and I went to Jacksonville to the funeral visitation of someone that we went to college with. Died much too young, 43. Cancer just absolutely destroyed her body. That's not an understatement. Um, One of the hardest, hardest visitations I've ever been to. And in the midst of this decayed body, this body that was once vibrant and just full of life and just had decayed literally almost to nothing, Ephesians 2 kept rolling through my mind as I was thinking about today and how that's a picture of all of us spiritually. Sin's destroyed us. Sin has taken us and we no longer have a beautiful skin tone. We have a very yellowy jaundice skin tone, spiritually speaking. And we're no longer strong and strapping. We're weak and we're feeble. And Jesus stepped in and said, it changes today. Jesus stepped in and said, I'm making you alive today. If that doesn't excite you, I I don't know what will. If talking about the awesomeness of the grace of God doesn't make you want to be a Christ follower, I, I don't know what will. Because God's character causes us not to be silent, not to be passive. But to say, I'm in, and I'm in to stay. God's character brings incredible, incredible hope. Well, stair step number three on our imaginary ladder. Sin is awful. God's character brings hope. Number three, this is the point of the message. We're saved only by the grace of God. We're saved only by the grace of God. I was thinking this week about what is the motto of American success. What is the motto of American culture in many ways? And here's what I came up with, and it's not perfect in a lot of ways, but I think a lot of you will connect with it. And here's what it is. If you want to receive, you better achieve. If you want to receive, you better achieve. My guess is almost nobody here has sat down with your kids or your grandkids and said, if you really want to be something in life, If you really want to do something in life, just sit back and let the government help you out. My guess is that's not been the pep talk that you've given your children. If you want to drive that car, just sit back and find some sucker that's going to buy you a car. That's not what we say. What do we say? We say if you want to succeed, if you want to taste success, it's going to hurt. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to show up for your job. You're going to have to work hard at your job. You're going to have to save your money. 
See, I can't just show up today at Bombs or Andersons or Wilsons or Douglas, I think I've got all the car dealers, and just say, hey, I want a car because I'm Greg Taylor. They'd shake my hand, pat me on my back, and send me on my way. Well, they wouldn't talk to me today at all because they're closed, but you know what I'm talking about. Doesn't matter. American life, American culture says if you want to receive, you better achieve. Maybe you ought to overachieve. And the crazy thing about Christianity, the crazy thing about God's incredible character, his love, his mercy, his grace for you and me, is that God just went the exact opposite direction. God said, you're a sinner, but I love you so much, I'm going to give you the gift of grace. I'm going to bless you when you don't deserve to be blessed. Let's read on in Ephesians 2, second part of verse 5. It says, it's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. My friends, salvation is a free gift. And that's why when I spend time with people that aren't Christians and they're not Christ followers, and they hear the good news, and they just kind of walk away, there's a part of me, I am really dumbfounded. I really don't get that. Because it's the best deal going. It's grace. It's a free gift. Um, this week, I had the opportunity to go to lunch with one of my good ministry friends, preacher Wayne from Decatur, and just my life, my world, the role that I'm in, most of the time when I go out to lunch with preachers, I'm the one picking up the check. And I'm not whining about that. I mean, I like to do it. I like to bless them. But, um, you know, nobody that I go to lunch with is typically breaking their hand trying to grab the check. That's usually my deal. But Wayne Kent's the one exception in that. I mean, the guy never lets me pay. So I just, I kind of made up in my mind this week, I'm buying his lunch, whether he likes it or not. I'm going to find a way to do it. And, and uh, Wednesday morning, I was getting ready to leave, and I noticed that we had a gift card from J.D. and Norma Harold from all the way back in Christmas time to O'Charlie's. So I thought, this is perfect. We're going to O'Charlie's. I'm going to pull out the gift card. So it got time for the check, and we're wrestling it. And I, I pull it out, and I said, Wayne, I got it. I've got a gift card here. And I paid the check, and he let me, and we went on our way. But I realized when I got done with that, that didn't cost me anything. That wasn't even the purpose of that gift card. They were probably mad at me that I took another preacher out to eat and not my lovely wife and son and daughter. So I guess I owe you lunch at some point. The point is this. It didn't cost me anything. And I'll be honest, it didn't mean quite as much to me. No sacrifice on my part. Do you understand that God's incredible gift didn't cost you anything, but it cost Jesus Christ everything? Jesus Christ, perfect in every way, fully God, fully man, went to the cross and died so we can receive this free gift. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we fall into the trap that Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Some of us, like I said, we've heard a hundred sermons on the grace of God. And if we were really being honest, maybe inside, we'd say, you know, let's get to something else. Let's move on to something we haven't studied quite as much i got to tell you, I can preach the grace of God every Sunday till everyone in Clinton knows Jesus 
as Lord and Savior. It's the best deal going. But here's the catch. You can't earn this gift. You can't earn this gift. It's a free gift, but you cannot earn it. Now, if I were to take a poll of First Christian Church this morning and say, how many of us are trying to earn our salvation? Probably no hands would go up. Maybe if we had like a four or five-year-old in here and they're just kind of, you know, not really paying attention, they might throw their hand up. But if you really think about it, we know intellectually, I can't earn my salvation. It's a free gift. We read it right here in Ephesians chapter 2. But my fear is that many of us and the way we go about our lives, our spiritual lives, in reality, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We think if I just sing in the choir enough, I'm going to be good to go. Or if I just serve communion enough, I'm going to be good to go. Or if I just teach Sunday school enough, or help in the small group, or help with the youth groups, or do enough good things, I'm going to get enough positive check marks that it's going to offset all the bad that I've done in my life. And that's good logic, but it's not biblical logic. See, the reality is you can have all the good check marks in the world. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, it doesn't matter. This next statement's going to offend some here. There's a lot of good people that go to hell. That's harsh. That's not politically correct. We don't want to hear that. It's not about being good. It's about being Christ's. It's about being a Christ follower. We're saved only by grace. It's a free gift. We cannot earn it. I, I want to put this acronym up on the, the screen. And it's not perfect theologically, so you don't have to write me the note. I know it, it's not perfect, but I like it. It's helped me. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. It reminds me that grace really is a gift. And I really had nothing to do with it. And yet I revel in the blessing of it. God's riches at Christ's expense. Well, we could stop right here except for one problem. Paul didn't stop right here. Paul had one more little verse that he wanted to share. So from an integrity standpoint, we need to go on and get to stair step number four. And here's what it is. Simply put, we are God's workmanship. Let me read Ephesians 2, verse 10 for you. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, some of you right there, I know what you're thinking. I can see the wheels turning in your mind. You're thinking, you just spent 25 minutes telling me I can't earn my salvation. Grace is a free gift from God. And then you throw verse 10 up there. We are God's workmanship. What gives? Was Paul contradicting himself? Let me put two key thoughts of the New Testament up. James, probably the first book written in the New Testament, his most famous verse is probably this, faith without works is dead. And then Paul, all throughout his letters, but especially here in Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved only by grace through faith. Now, I want you to raise your hand if you think James is right here. And I want you to raise your hand if you think Paul is right here. Well, guess what? They're both right. They're both right. See, a lot of people think that James was reacting to Paul when he wrote the book of James. But the problem with that is the book of James was the first book written in the New Testament. So in many ways, Paul may have been reacting to James, but here's the point. It's not faith or works. It's not saved by grace or earning my salvation. It's I'm saved by grace 
So I'm going to roll up my sleeves, not, not to earn my salva salvation, but to bring glory and honor to God the Father, the author of this incredible gift. And I would just say this with grace this morning. If you're on the sidelines, if you're a Christ follower, and you love to come here and hear the band lead us in wonderful music and, and take communion and maybe give an offering of some sort and, and hear God's word read and maybe you're in a Sunday school class but you're not serving, it's time to get busy. This church is not the perfect church. I, I could give you many an illustration why we are not the perfect church. But I will tell you this, the ministries of this church are many, and they're life-changing. You look at our benevolence ministry, I mean, 700 people in our community were helped last month by our food pantry. Friends, that's a tenth of our community, 700 people. I, I can't tell you the number of people that call me and say, Greg, I want to get married here. I'm like, I never met you. They say, I used to go to Agape Land. I used to go to youth group. I know that crazy Ernie. I mean, the ministries of this church are making an incredible difference. They're making an eternal difference. And if you're not plugged in and serving, it's time to serve. My bottom line for you today is this. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you're not a Christian, if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, I want to challenge you this week to do something about that. To make the decision this week, I'm not going to live another week without knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we call that, my friends, grace. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. And for your word, the, the power of your word, not my word, not, not a, just a mere human's word, but your word, inspired through the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the world's ever known. And so this morning, Father, as we move toward our commitment time, it's my prayer that the people that have heard the hundred sermons on grace would just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for changing my life. And for the people that maybe this was the first one they've heard, you would just kind of attack their heart this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. That they'd be really uncomfortable right now, wondering if they're going to go another week without knowing the hope that only Jesus brings. Father, it's all about Jesus. He's the ultimate difference maker. Thank you for this great gift we call grace. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've come to our time of invitation.